Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're here not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Sarah and Bryce. Welcome to episode 172. And Andrew, I don't know where Andrew or Jackie are. I think Andrew had just too many things to do this week. So yeah, that's, I think it was just a break week for them. I think everyone's a little still stressed out. Talk <laughs> to two builders who are asking for proposals and and they're both kind of in the scenario. Well, one of them I just talked to, they have 20 neighborhoods and they have three full-time marketing people wow. and and they're still stressed out. Um, wow. It's just a lot of that, that. We discount the amount. One of, state? Yeah, one state, okay. a, a big state. But yeah. still one state and we underestimate the amount that the mental pressure and stress of, uh, of market conditions of, of just yeah. so many different things, and how, how that, how that wanes on you. And I'm hearing a lot more, again, uh, mental health breaks were definitely a thing earlier in the year. And mm-hmm. I feel like they're making a return back. And, and part of the question too, and then we'll dive into story time. I was talking to my brother who works for Cardinal Health, a, a large, I think they're the largest medical logistics company. I don't really know okay. exactly what they do, but they're, they're a big multi-billion dollar corporation. He's like, yeah, half of the people on my team or more will be gone for two to three weeks in December, just because they've not taken any vacation time and they've got to use it. And so they're just yep. taking on, like, we're going to figure out how to run this department with a bunch of people gone. Just so many unique things. Yeah. Challenges I feel like that's happening with. everywhere. Yep. All right. Well, let's dive into story time. And Sarah, kick us off. Yeah. So my friend from high school has been on vacation in Florida last week, and I've been watching all of his Instagram posts and stories. And what I really found interesting was the last kind of few days of his trip. He visited his mom at a big 55 plus master plan community down there. And of course, he is really active on Instagram and all social media but he is driving around the community on a golf cart, waving to people. He is at their socials and their dances with his mom and just recording and filming all of this. And I was watching it thinking, man, I wish I saw more builders doing this. Um, I think we underestimate, especially with 55 plus, the um, importance of focusing on that lifestyle because the 55 plus buyer, I mean, they're buying a home, but that's not really what they're shopping for. They're shopping for the lifestyle after they retire, that lifestyle yep. they've been working Absolutely. for their whole life. And, and I think when people hear the word lifestyle too, oftentimes it's translated by, by home building employees as a combination of convenience and the, you know, the glass of wine, not having to do certain activities and just like only doing what you want to do. But most of the things you just mentioned actually relate around other people that are around you. And in some ways, I think we forget this too, that same feeling that you had going to college and living in a dorm, you know, there was nerves of like, uh, what's this going to be like? Also excitement. But at the end of the day, your experience of connecting with those other people, or if you've ever had um, a parent or a grandparent who's transitioned into assisted living, you know how even, even if... Like I remember one of my grand, my grandpa was not a social person, grandpa Oakley. And, um, but when he got in that assisted living scenario, suddenly 
he's, you know, he's doing bingo and he's talking about who he sits with at lunch and, and that yeah. part of it. So there are 55 plus communities, Sarah, I guess is why I'm saying this is where, where the marketer might be thinking, well, I don't have, you know, two full-time social coordinators and we don't have all the amenities of this other community. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is they, they want to feel a connection on their own terms to be sure, but they still want to be able to connect with other people. Yeah. A connection to other people. And if you don't have a lot of amenities, so on the builder I worked with, we were all 55 plus age targeted, no restricted. And many of them didn't have a lot of those amenities. So we kind of expanded out and kind of started promoting the city and the town and the people there and just everything. So you don't, if you don't have a lot of amenities, don't let that hold you back. So you can what, just okay, one, fo- one more follow-up question and then, then we'll let Chris go. <laughs> How did you talk about the people that weren't there? If that is what we're talking about is connection with humans. When it's a new community, there are no other people there yet. Anything in your past that you, you, you go back and highlight as, as ways to talk about the people that aren't there as if they're there or make it paint the picture properly without over-promising? I mean, yeah, if... I mean, that's kind of a hard one painting the picture, but if you don't have the highly amenitized community, then that's pretty easy. You talk about the the social activities and the life and the life that you can have in that town. I mean, that's already there. So you can start with that. Right. And then if you have other amenities talking about any any activities or classes you're gonna have, I mean you can use that and, and paint around it as yeah, well. If there's a local bingo place or coffee shops or knitting clubs mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. scrapbooking or, you know, what, whatever it is, there's, as long as you're near a fairly large metro area, even. Yeah. Or even, I mean, we were in a smaller town, but there were always arts and craft shows. There were hiking trails and mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of stuff to do. All so the stuff that sounds I, good that you don't have time for when you have kids. <laughs> exactly. Kids. If you want to do it, but you don't have time to just, just put that in your marketing. Cause when uh-huh. you're retired, you can do it. That's, yeah. that's a great point. All right, Bryce, what do you got? I'm kind of skating off of Sarah. So my best friend's parents are building a home in Margaritaville. I think, Kevin, you were just there too, right? Oh, different Margaritaville. I was at the Margaritaville Beach Resort, um, which was okay. um, Roland Narnsey put that on uh, a, a fun event down there. Um, so similar name, but different mm-hmm. geographical Concept. place. Same, same branding approach, I think, in terms of... Yeah. It's five o'clock somewhere being the name of the bar, et cetera. Exactly. So it's setting it off. So it's a 55 and older community that they're building there. And being in a home building, I often ask them how it's going. And it's never actually, whenever I have the conversation with them, it's never actually about how the process of their home building is going. It's always about what's going on down there. So every time you ask them, it's, oh, we joined this club or we're participating in like wine nights virtually with our neighbors and our neighbors are the ones that are sending the photos and the updates. Like it's all about creating that culture within the community and making people like very eager to get down there. So it's just about creating that good time for the most part. And I just think that's different because when I used to work for Chesapeake Homes and we were building a 55 and older community targeted community for in South Carolina, we created that founders club. And that was a really good spinoff for the first 50 people that signed up to purchase a home in the community. They were part of a club in that club. They would have special towels they would go to the pools with, and they were known as the founders and it created a really good environment for them too. So I just think it's always a very important about creating the culture and making sure that the lifestyle is 
triggered behind it. And just like how Sarah was talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like the, the unofficial theme of story time is 55 plus. Mm -hmm. And my rem reminder to anyone thinking about age targeted or, or seasoned citizen communities goes back to that they they do not buy green bananas in, in large quantities some people will still be a like you're always gonna have pioneers to any community or a new offering but the majority so one of the things we talked about at the summit someone came up to me at the cocktail reception and said hey we've got this community and it's catering to these i think it was a high high-end townhome product which at the end of the day is again it's it's someone who if you're buying a townhome that's seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in that's not in, you know, uh, Manhattan or Tampa or someplace where everything's expensive. But it, if that's yeah. the same price as a single family home uh, that's high end in your marketplace, those are people who want what they want when they want it, how they want mm -hmm. it. And the, we were talking at first about different marketing and advertising things they could do. And then, and then at the end of the day, it, I was reminded that one of the things that um, we, we did a little bit at Heartland, but NVR did it better once we became part of them was accelerating the construction of the model through any means necessary. Like 100%. if you have to pay for two different trim crews to come in and trim out that house faster, pay extra overtime. Now, again, easier said than done in today's environment, I understand. But for them, it kind of became very clear that uh, just They're like buyers, they want to they need to have a different level of proof and understanding unless again, market conditions are where there's no supply and extreme amounts of demand, uh, like some of what we've lived through. But generally speaking, sometimes you just have to expedite the construction of that model home. And we would build models that you would imagine are going to take at least five, six months to build and, and they'd be built in 90 days. And that's, that, that was critical to getting that early sales success versus just spending six months of telling people it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah, definitely. Um, get the model up as soon as you can for sure. And renderings are great. All visualization mm -hmm. tools are great, but depending on, on the type of buyer clientele, you still, you still want to mm -hmm. prioritize that if you can. All right. I remember them even calling the OC and be like, Hey, are you guys open today? And they'll be like, absolutely. We'll schedule it. Like I can get you a schedule an appointment. And they're like, no, we'll drive there. Thanks so. And like, just hang out. Like that's <laughs> like, we're good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. The, because they have the time to, to waste the gas and the, and yep. the hours driving, et cetera. Yeah. Yep. All right. Shifting gears towards some celebratory things. First of all, did some quick math on the back of a napkin because I've had a couple people when I was traveling for, for Roland's event, uh, new home sales plus again, thanks for having me there. They're Roland. Um, several people were like, Hey, we've known you, Kevin, since you started working with Mike or uh, since you were blogging or writing pre-sale without fail at Heartland and how the heck have you guys grown the way you have? And, and I was like, well, part of the, it's, it's hard work and we work hard to, to, to get things done for our builders, but 90% of our team has more than four years of experience as a home builder. So not, not counting their time working with, do you convert just, you know, but in the seat, uh, somewhere in, in a role with a home building organization. And collectively, when you add everyone up together, we did the math. It's over 110 years of collective experience. <laughs> and um, so we, That's awesome. it doesn't mean that we approach, we never approach uh, interaction with a builder of a, we, well, we, well, we know what to do. Like, it's just, it's this again, every builder is unique and different, but once you understand, it's kind of like the personality things, you know, you guys have all done personality things where yeah. you're like, 
when you're first like aware of people's true personalities, like, man, everyone's so different in this world. We're all different. And then you, you do more research and you're like, "Ah, there's like 20 to 40 different kinds of basic personality profiles. And I think I should actually figure this out. This would be a fun exercise. You can tell how boring I am that this would be fun for me (laughs) of really documenting and figuring out how many different home building personalities are there really in terms of company cultures and approaches. So then once we know who you are collectively between us, we're like, we've either worked there uh, for many years or we competed against a builder who was very similar as a builder. Anyway, it's just what, I mean, I think Jesse Suggs reaction when she saw that number was like, dang, that's a, that's a lot of years. Yeah. It's a (laughs) lot of years. And then the second thing we have to celebrate um, is we've crossed the 110,000 podcast stream mark. Um, kind of blown past it. I've, I've not done a good job of looking at, at the stats there, but 110,000 podcast streams, which if you take our average episode length, which again, I don't know, but I'm going to use 60, roughly 60 minutes or 65 minutes an episode as an average. There's definitely apologies for those three hour episodes that we had back in the day. We've tried to stick closer to an hour and a half or hour lately. That's, that's conservatively over six and a half million minutes of us in people's ears, which is terrifying um, to think about <laughs> all of all of that amount of time. Yeah. And so the other thing we did just to celebrate uh, is we we did something I can't believe. Like I, I erased the post. It, it self-destructed in the Facebook group, but I was like, hey, rate, rate, review, et cetera, as you will. And I also promised those people that if you gave a, uh, that, that I would read actual written reviews as well. So Good or bad, here they come. Uh, Pedal. <laughs> uh, I always wonder about people's names that they choose. Um, I guess is their Apple ID, right? Um, yeah, I think so. So much great insight. I find so much value in this podcast. Great conversations, great guests, great everything. Thank you, Pedal. Uh, Miss OSC says, keeps me Ooh. current every week. I look forward to hearing from the entire DYC crew. It takes... Uh, their take on current marketing and home building news and the wide variety of guests they have on always happy when I see a new pod released. Thank you. Miss OSC soul rack five, seven, five. I learned something new every episode. The podcast has great content. I'm either getting confirmation that I'm on the right track or I'm learning how to expand into new territory. I've listened to many podcasts that share very little and consistently push to get hired. Uh, I guess I mean selling, um, NPM yeah. actually, I, lo- I love the uh, acronyms, right? I, yeah. I reference DYC and NPM more than say our names these days. NPM actually shares strategies, wins and losses. Love it. It's also nice to hear people who agree with my feeling about TikTok. TikTok. Cry That's emoji. <laughs> I think I missed someone. To the Do You Convert team, uh, David Stanford. I seldom write reviews, but I have to say your show is part of my early morning listening routine now. I hope you're brushing your teeth right now, David. And episode 163 was absolutely fantastic. From my point of view, incredibly on target and quite educational. Thanks so much for sharing your point of view and ideas. I learned a lot and appreciate what you do. Well done and relevant for new thinking in this consumer-driven market we are living in. I and, think it's great. There's even one from a rookie, which is great. Oh, yeah. That, that's um, This is uh, back from January of 2021, but from yeah. a rookie, thank you. Andrew, Kevin, and the whole crew really know what they're talking about when it comes to marketing for home builders and developers, I'm a single person marketing team at a small builder and figuring it out alone deems a challenge. Finding this podcast is probably the best thing to happen to me in 2020. Um, and then okay. last but not least, Mimi 12, three, two, one, <laughs> my go-to podcast. 
I laughed. I cried. I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> okay. I highly recommend also a very informative thought provoking and up to date ideas. I wish I lost 10 pounds when I talked to on these. I really want to meet every, I want to know who Solrack, Mimi, Petal, and, uh, and Miss OSC are. I love it. Yes. So if you want to, uh, to get on the action there, this will be the only time we mention this for another 170 whatever episodes. Uh, but you can go to link in the show note or go to now.gconvert.com forward slash Apple review, all one word, and drop in five stars or a comment and we will read it next time on the air and then we'll be done. Okay, on to personal story time. Uh, as of the time of this podcast being out there in the world, we are officially renters at the Oakley household. Our, our current home, we close on tomorrow, um, October 22nd in the morning. Yeah. That's exciting. That's, that is exciting. And originally our construction completion date was September. Then it moved to October. And then I don't think, I don't know if we've ever actually gotten another date or date range officially. <laughs> I mean, what anyway, are you looking at now? So the last one that we heard back when we put our house on the market in mid September was November, like mid November. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we are renting back the home uh, from, from the new owners until December 15th. But at this time, it looks like um, we Christmas might be, be at your parents. We might be homeless. Oh. So I just want to. Holidays wanna, at your parents. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> somewhere. I want to just talk about it again because look, I, I knew better. I knew better, and I still did something that now one. I wanted to make sure the house was sold before interest rates got higher or the market Absolutely. changed too much. So. Um, what's the, what's the old saying that no one knows the real reason for a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I guess that was back when we ate birds as a species. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Uh, wild birds. Not like, you never heard that saying? No, I don't think I've ever heard that saying. Have you heard of a stitch in time saves nine? Yes. From okay. my grandpa. I, I yeah. also don't know what that means either. A stitch in time <laughs> saves nine. But I wanted, I wanted the bird in the hand. Uh, and, and the, and the cash from, from the closing to help, you know, offset costs and of building and, and all that stuff. So I knew it was happening and I knew that I needed more time than the builder was communicating, but I still, I, we're still going to be homeless. So even if you've been <laughs> doing this and, and working with builder, I mean, even when you know, um, when it's personal, it always becomes more real. And that's, so I just thought I'd share that, that, well, at least from my I'm wife's right perspective. Oh yeah. Oh right. yeah. Sarah's Yeah. <laughs> What's the latest on, on your time frame? By Christmas, probably. And what was the okay. original original time frame? Um, the original was September. Yeah. There you oh, go. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are you at now? Are you in your past drywall, right? Me? Me? Yes. Yeah. We uh, we have the trim crew hopefully wrapping it up today, and then they'll start painting. The biggest question mark. I think I told the story. I know I told the story about the the floor restocking fee, like. It was your wife liking. Yeah. She liked the different floor. hardwood floor. Mm -hmm. She wanted to change that um, when she went to go to this other vendor and then um, right row came back and was like, well, there's going to be this enormous restocking fee because we've already got your hardwood. Well, now we're like, so you got the hardwood, right? Like that's not going to slow us down on our schedule. And project manager's like, they haven't actually told me anything about the hardwood. I, well, again, this is, this is cathartic for me, everyone is I, I'm totally empathetic with everything that's happening. And so I am very calm and kind of like, well, 
at least at least every day there's someone working at our house. That's not necessarily what happens for every yeah. home building company out there. So I'm like, hey, every day there's someone there doing something. It is progressing. It is slow, I know, but also it's what it is. And meanwhile, my wife is like losing her mind. Yeah, she's like, are, are, if they don't have that hardwood, and they told me I couldn't because I had to restock, you know. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's where we, that's where the Oakleys are. So say a prayer uh, for that. IT marketing is also the highlight. Of, the highlight of my day today was a call I had this morning with someone who we have worked with for two and a half, three years now. I think the marketer recently left, and so. Part of the challenge has always been the, the website structure and how the website's in process. And I've, I've talked to the marketing director who has gone back and talked to IT. But now that, that person was no longer there, we just, I finally got through to kind of the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain and <laughs> talked, to, talked to the IT group directly this morning. And you never know how those conversations are going to go. Are they going to be defensive? Do they, you know, IT generally likes to have complete control over what's happening. Absolutely. And so I was like, all right. Hope this goes well. Uh, organically, your site's kind of a mess, and um, there's too many landing pages, and conversion data is missing, also hurting organic results. It really is all about for this builder, everything's working, but they haven't been able to maintain positive form momentum on website traffic and conversions from the organic channel in particular. And every builder is down in comparison to the peaks, but they're they quickly went back to 2019 levels of organic traffic when most people were still just comparing you know, being down from 2020 or early 2021 just wasn't, wasn't ideal. And when I started talking through areas of opportunity, it just made my day. He was like, I totally understand what you're saying. And I don't know how to solve it necessarily right away, but this is, and this is the takeaway is um, where, where I guess I probably failed of not pushing to talk to it directly. It's like, I just didn't, I never, it was never explained to me with the same type of clarity as to what the challenge really was. It was like, add this code here, put this there, very, very tactical conversations. And no one had taken the time to have a, it sounded like anyway, a more strategic conversation with IT mm -hmm. who runs their, their website of this is the strategy change that we and need why? to put into place and then let them be involved in the solution versus just dictating, drop this code here make this adjustment. And so that anytime you can get it on your side, um, it makes your day better. So that yeah. was my, that, as we say at the Oakley table, we do happy crappy every day where you have to have a happy, but you don't have a crappy. That was my happy. It was okay. a fun conversation with it. All right, moving on to the news. Hey everybody, Jen Barkin here with some exciting news about the upcoming Online Sales Academy kicking off in December. If you are a brand new online sales specialist or haven't had any real formal training, this is your chance to ramp up your online sales results in record time. We kick it off with three days of training together, followed by eight weeks of coaching and on-demand learning. When you finish, you'll join an elite group of peers as a Do You Convert certified online sales specialist. Visit doyouconvert.com backslash events to sign up or to learn more about the Online Sales Academy today. 
Update on crypto craziness. So the second from CNBC.com, the second largest U.S. mortgage lender ditches its plan to accept payments in Bitcoin. Uh, this is published on October 14th. So uh, crypto is I, I, actually, Bryce, you're the youngest person on our team, I think. Any of your friends yeah. or anyone you know involved in, in the crypto, the Bitcoin, the Ether? Oh, goodness. So actually, my like Jordan, my fiance, he's obsessed with the okay. crypto right now. So I know a little bit, I'm very surface level, but um, he's all about the XRP and the SEC lawsuit happening right now. I don't uh -huh. know if you're familiar with it, but so this article is a little interesting to me and I could probably talk for about 30 minutes just on this article, but I just think it's a very matter of fact. Um, Cause I think if I recall correctly, only 10% of the nation's actually invested in cryptocurrency. And so that, that no would actually even seem high to me, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not widely known. And so they're just saying, Hey, at the end of the day, it's, there's just not enough interest in it to make it worth it. Um, regulatory yeah. hurdles are probably going to be changing the value of, of, I mean, that's the problem. Bitcoin, which is the most well-known cryptocurrency, when you have valuation swings of being worth $30,000 a coin, $60,000 a coin over the space of a year, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that doing transactions with that mm -hmm. type of like imagine if your dollar was only was only worth 40 cents for 3 months of this year if you know that that would cause like should i should i buy this thing now or wait yeah. until my dollar becomes worth more again it's yeah, just it'd be uh, like buying a house with gold bars yeah it does, <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't make sense it's more of an asset right now than a actual currency an actual currency point. exactly yeah. yep so i just thought that was uh that was interesting and i know that you know, NFTs as an example, I finally found someone who was willing to spend the time to help me understand. And so an NFE, a non-fungible token just means that it's not designed to be a currency. It's don't even think about it as a, as a cryptocurrency so much. That just means it's on a distributed ledger. What it really think about means it like trading cards. Those are very much like trading cards to yes, me. Yes. Like, like trading cards, no inherent value in and of themselves. They represent something. And in, in the case mm -hmm. of the baseball card, it represents the player and the card kind of combined together. But NFTs in real estate and art are two interesting concepts because what NFT and, and blockchain technologies would let you do is, um, let's say that I, I'm the first one to own a particular home. It's been built for me, the, the Oakley Casa being built right now. Mm -hmm. If I made that the sale of that home uh, through an, an NFT, a non-fungible token, I could set up that token where every time in the future that that house is sold using the same token, I don't just make money on it the first time I sell it. I could make money on every other transaction down the line. I would continue in perpetuity, as they say, to get 0.02% of every transaction that ever is involved with that NFT. Same thing for art and artists. You know, you think about the starving artist, part of the reason the starving artist is starving is they sell their artwork initially then over the next 20 to 30 years, its value goes up and eventually is sold at auction for millions of dollars. That artist has no way to be involved in that value. But if there's a non-fungible token connected to each art piece, when that art piece goes to auction at Christie's 10 years later and is sold for $10 million, there could be a rule in place that says that artist continues to get 10% every time that artwork yeah. is sold. So I, there, there is some really cool potential use cases. Um, I just think we're about five. I don't, I would, it's hard to put a number on it, but I just, right now, I think we're in the innovation period. And so we're not like massively adopting the cryptocurrency as of right now. I try to think about it, like how, 
like my grandparents and my parents, when you would have told them that the internet's right around the corner and they're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the dot-com boom happened. I, then, that's how, yeah, yeah. that's how I kind of see cryptocurrency. Um, we're just at the innovation period right now. And it's so I can understand why they are ditching it. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. The hype cycle is in full effect and it'll, yep. it, it'll ebb out of fashion and then it'll come back uh, yeah. to, in, a, in a new way, potentially. Mm -hmm. Plus it triggers capital gains, which is, I mean, it just, it can get a little messy right now. So yeah, I get it. All right. Up next from yahoo.com. Although this was all over, um, everywhere. I think it, it broke early this, the Monday morning, um, this past week, Zillow is pausing home buying or I buying as tech powered flipping hits a snag. Uh, so basically on Monday, October 18th, the announcement was made that Zillow is not going to be purchasing any more homes using their I buying program. And the narrative from the company was basically, Hey, there's a labor shortage. We can't get enough, uh, people to get in and, and, you know, add that extra coat of paint that's necessary or fix something to do the renovations and, and all of the work needing to go into getting a home ready. Cause at the end of the day, sounds great to say we're using technology to buy and sell homes. And that sounds like it's a light switch or, you know, or like, you know, see, I just Don't did it again. People. I just, I just sold a house, just sold another one. You know, it's not, it's not, not quite like that. So that was kind of how it was pitched, but since then, the conspiracy theories are not really conspiracy theories, is that Open Door and OfferPad in certain markets like Phoenix slow down their their purchases intentionally, and Zillow kind of like a if it's a three horse race said, well, thanks everyone for slowing down, but we've got cash and we're going to keep buying, and so they have too many homes is problem one, uh, without uh, a trigger in the system saying that hey we should slow down in a particular market. Second thing is they, they're just paying too much in some cases exactly. uh, in an, in an attempt to be the leader in the iBuying space. And now that a lot of on the existing side in particular, a lot of homes have price reductions going on, not, not because they're losing inherent value, but because people were asking too much from the, from the beginning. But well, they the, launched this program in the height of the pandemic when home value was high already. So they're probably overpaid on the homes in regards. Yeah, it's been, it's been around for a couple of years, but they really did mm -hmm. double down during that period of time for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sarah, you're you're in iBuying Central. I think Phoenix has more mm -hmm. more homes sold to iBuying organizations yeah. than anywhere else. I actually <laughs> used uh, one of them when they first started, like hmm. seven years ago, when wow. I moved from Phoenix, and now I'm moving back. But so seven years ago, so yeah, there were, we're central. I think we have everyone. We have so all the eye buyers. It's been interesting awesome. to watch, I think kind of what you would imagine Wendy's Twitter would do, but I think mm -hmm. open door made a couple social posts the next day or later that day. Like we're still buying homes and everyone's trying to kick yeah. Zillow while they're pausing. Uh, Mike Delpreet, uh, who I've mentioned before on the podcast basically said, look, this isn't catastrophic. There's, there's nothing you know, inherently damaging Zillow still has, uh, the best name recognition with the consumer overall. It's just a learning curve of, you know, trying to do so much so quickly on, on what ultimately is still a very human, um, intensive business. The technology yeah. helps, but you got to have the humans to manage it properly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and labor because in the article, yeah. it talks about like having, shortage and labor just to fix up the houses that they're trying to flip in the first place. Yeah. And I don't 
what I was actually surprised the most by is how many home building companies, and I don't think this is targeted just at Zillow, but at iBuyers in general. I'm not, I don't, I don't fully understand it where there's a lot of smirky comments of like, haha, or like not surprised or mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, I don't really know where that's coming from because ultimately all of these companies OfferPad, o- open door and Zillow all um, have the opportunity to help builders with what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure where that, that angst comes yeah. from. But yeah. Moving on, uh, this is a different type of article, but I thought it'd be a good discussion. From CBR.com, Disney's Bob Iger warns new CEO, don't rely solely on data when choosing new projects. And the fear is that a creative organization like Disney has the tendency, that they need to be highly creative in order to be successful, to tell new um, stories that connect with with us and, and have true, and they need to take risks. And the fear is that as they enter into more and more streaming uh, technology, that the data inherently given back through that streaming is like, you know exactly the content to make and it can become very uncreative in that process. And the, and, and Bob is saying, look, part of what makes Walt Disney company special is the creative risks of not just looking at what the data says, the data didn't say that that an all African American movie like Black Panther needed to be made. That wasn't in the data anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then look at this tremendous success that came about um, by by taking that creative risk. So I just thought it was interesting in, in translating it over to, to builders in the same way as we're, we're starting to see that same delusion, crazy, insane amounts of data, and the ability to be kind of swallowed up by that data versus being more creative and and how we approach things. And I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were about that conundrum. I think as a marketer, I have a love-hate with this. The love side of it is to get out of the comfort zone and to pick those floor plans and design those hoods that um, might not be the most profitable, but would sell quickly to help get out of the neighborhood and be beneficial in some cases. But then on the other side, if you're building a website that is just pretty and creative, but the data doesn't support the the website, then that's where I struggle with it. So I think as a marketer in the home building, I, I look at this and I love and I hate this article, but that's just my personal preference. Yeah. I, I think relying solely on data, like I, I, I love data. I mean, I mm-hmm. think you can build a lot of things with it, but if you focus solely on data, nobody's going to create anything unexpected or create the mm-hmm. next big thing that the people the people didn't even really know they wanted or know they needed. And then we're just going to be in a cycle of the same old things over and over again. And it's going to be quite boring. So you, you need to have some, some percentage of your effort needs to mm-hmm. be put forward to creating something new and something unexpected and something and in, creative. In more marketing budgets, you come, it's a, what's the percentage for innovation? That yeah, you, an innovation fund of one to yeah. 2% to take, to take creative risk or risk in general yeah. to try to stay ahead of the curve for sure. I also just think it's interesting about the personality types within an organization. So we talk yeah. about this as if it's like the, the company monolithically choosing to be either creative or data driven, but ultimately it comes down to individuals. And oftentimes there's someone I, I've told this example many, many times, you know, Marty Gillespie, the president of Heartland was the full on creative force over new initiatives that I, I never would have considered based upon the data. And instead of just pushing against that and saying that's those are all dumb, it was saying, well, let's find the the best 1% of those and give them a shot. 
and they always the the as long as we picked you know were selective in that process they always ended up moving the needle on the data and at first it was almost yeah. annoyingly so it was like dang it that shouldn't have done what it what it looks like it did you know it's like he was right about that one and and so whether that's you know sales wanting to do sales things and marketing saying no the data says this or it's individual people within the marketing department one of the other things we we have as a tool that shows everything you're doing is it are you only doing it so that you make a sale tomorrow or the next week or the next month or if you did this activity for a, over the course of a year and got no sales from it is there still inherent value in doing it anyway not not a direct sales value but a brand building value, a giving back to the community value, reputational value. And we do need to make sure if you're, if you're heavily on the performance marketing channel, you do need some of those things in the mix uh, to keep a good balance. Definitely. Absolutely. Iger's uh, quote here is great. In a world and business that is awash with data, it is tempting to use data to answer all of our questions, including land questions. Oh, sorry, it doesn't say that. Including creative questions. <laughs> I urge all of you not to do that, Iger said. And then what's interesting is, so this is the outgoing chairman of the Walt Disney Company. And it says, followed up, uh, Chapek, the current CEO, followed up by saying um, in no uncertain terms that they will be a data-driven company. And so... Going we'll, <laughs> we'll back on it. Yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next up from CNN.com, Facebook is planning to change its name, report says. So... Crazy. The metaverse is upon us. What is the metaverse? If you just think Ready Player One, um, that whole story takes place in a metaverse. Um, that's part of the reason Facebook invested in Oculus is they think the Oculus VR headsets are going to be a key point of yeah. interaction with the metaverse. But also, and this happened when I was probably just starting to pay attention to world news, but didn't like Philip Morris uh, rebranded itself just after the the historic court cases involving tobacco usage and um, and lung cancer, they decided to rename their company uh, to something else. So that, like, why now? Um, is kind of the question. Why why are we yeah. rebranding re ourselves now? Isn't it just is it is it just to well, get the attention the article, on something else? It says that it's trying to be more than just beyond social media, but. I mean, I kind of think about like Amazon, Amazon at one point was only books, but now they're much more. So why change the name if you're trying just to add on? I don't know. It's just a little bit of mixed signals for me. I also read that it, I didn't realize Snapchat also redesigned and changed their name in 2016 to just snap. Did you guys know that? I had no idea. If you open the app on your cell phone on, it says Snapchat still on it. So yeah. just mixed signals, I guess. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So they're, they're saying that, well, I remember um, Google is now a company of the parent company, Alphabet. Alphabet, and so yeah. Th that that mm -hmm. was about stock and and where money was going and, and the reason for that change. And, and so that's mm -hmm. the other thing people are saying is either this is just to give the media something else to talk about, consumers get distracted, so we're not talking about um, girls uh, self-harming mm -hmm. anymore. Or this could be a setup where Mark Zuckerberg is going to... Um, become kind of the chairman of this new parent company and let someone else run Facebook. So that way he doesn't have but to go down and testify every yeah. month to Congress. It still wouldn't make, I guess in my mind, I'm having a hard time because if you change the name to Facebook, why wouldn't they just create a parent company like Google did? 
Because that's, that's kind of that's kind of I think what they're the, the Facebook the company is thinking about mm-hmm. rebranding itself. I don't think the Facebook app is going to change. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of that that company structure. So awesome. yeah, that's what I would suspect. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Okay, this is going to be a hard one if you can't click on the link to the show notes. But I want to show um, Bryce and I are, and Sarah and I are going to watch this again. But what we're looking at is a tweet where it appears that there's a camera flying around a children's playground. And it's, it's, it looks like a drone shot, right? Like it's from every angle. It's moving continuously. Pretty neat. Um, it's not complete, amazing, like 4k HDR quality, but it's a composite created entirely using computer visioning and artificial intelligence using, I think there's 18 different shots, uh, to make it, to make it work. And they, they show, uh, several different examples in this tweet. One of is of like a large um, boat. I don't know. Yeah. A, a wooden like boat a structure. Boat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, when you, when you're in a Matterport tour and you click from one dot to another, there's this period of in between state where it's kind of blurry, but you, you're, you obviously still know you're in the hallway or you're in that room. You kind of lose it just a little bit. Sometimes it, sometimes it has some of that effect of like, um, I don't know what it is about matter reports, but there'll just be like an object that is like not in motion the whole time. Everything else is in motion. But essentially what this, what this is, is it's the first time that they're, they're showing that if you took a famous monument and had, let's say six different pictures taken of it from different angles, a realistic animated perspective of that monument could be created using just those images and filling in all the gaps with AI. I wonder what the cost difference would be between this and a Matterport when it comes to our rendering structures. It's, I don't think it's as much a question of cost as just of like time and energy. So if you can create a good enough uh, rendering or animation of, uh, or view something from different perspectives, then you just don't have to have it shot at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's crowdsourcing the image. You know, if you, if, think about the fact of all of those kind of terrible pictures that your sales team or construction team took of a house under construction through the process of it. If you could put all those together and create a Matterport tour, that was good enough and high quality enough to be, to be used on its Mm -hmm. own. Um, it's just incredible how, how fast, uh, computer visioning is, uh, is, is okay. Shifting on to our last one. And this is, Oh boy, this is bonus. From Inman.com, an agent bears all in full frontal, not safe for work listing photos. I wish I could say that I had an epiphany, like a parting of the Red Sea moment, but I just thought it'd be funny. Agent David (laughs) Ferrugio told Inman. So um, what what this did, I I love this writer. Uh, These listing photos bring new meaning to the expression, a room with a view. So this gentleman... (laughs) Has pictures of himself oh. in a in a bathrobe where it's fully open in the front. He's sitting in a lawn chair. It's um, blurred out, guys. It's and, okay. and it is blurred out. <laughs> now, what I think is hilarious about this is he goes on to say that the listing photos on Zillow and Redfin, et cetera, do not include the full frontal nudity shots. He decided to only put those on his personal Instagram page so that he would get personal followers. And so while, uh, to be clear, I am not in any way endorsing full frontal nudity, blurred or unblurred. (laughs) I think uh, you think about all the other, all the other Zillow listing 
uh, crazy examples we've seen, like the 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 scary knife guy, scream guy, and oh yeah, um, ghosts and where's Waldo and all the rest. This seems like a an overall better strategy than putting that in the listing, because at the end of the day, I think we I think we all agree that most of those um, stunts are not about really getting that house sold. It's about making that broker or agent famous or internet famous. Creating awareness mm-hmm. that they exist and that they're right. trying to sell a home. Yeah. So what'll be interesting to see is if the listing itself ends up still getting a crazy amount of views simply because it is known to be connected to the personal Instagram pictures of full frontal yeah. nudity, right? Like, I think, I think in that case... The agent's going to get what he wants and the seller's going to get what they want. Yeah. And so it's just interesting. Uh, it's strategic. a different way of purchasing. Yeah, mm-hmm. purchasing it. Mm-hmm. That'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.